Relationships are one of the mysteries of life, aren't they? For us to be able to meet with someone and enjoy their company and be friends with them and other things is a big deal. We build our church on what we call community, where we make these friendships. But the problem with relationships is sometimes there's misunderstandings, sometimes there's flat-out uh, hurt between one another. The good news is, is that Jesus gives us opportunities through his word to be able to mend those relationships. And Jesus says, you can do it. My name is Trey Rhodes, and I'm the Connections Pastor at Northwood Baptist Church. It's good to have you as we study the Word of God together. I look forward to having uh, God speak into your life as we look into Luke chapter 17 today. And you might want to go ahead and get your Bibles as we look into this. Uh, we are in handling relationships with care. Thank you for being uh, faithful to teach your Life Connection Group next, uh, next week, this week, last week, and all the times that you've done it. You've certainly been a very faithful and uh, godly example to so many people. Well, we are going to talk a little bit about um, what we can do as in relationships. And as I said, in our church, we do community. That means that sometimes there is going to be difficulties that come about when two people can't get along. Interestingly enough, it might even be some, someone in your very own Life Connection group. Um, so I hope that this helps you today. A couple things. Uh, we are hopefully getting the uh, iPads in a place where you can use them. And so when you are finished with them, if you would bring them downstairs or either bring them uh, down the hall, depending on where you are, and put them in. There will be a green box next to the um, water cooler in both of the hallways. If you'll just drop it in there that way, I don't have to go upstairs and pick the Life Connection groups, uh, the, excuse me, the iPads up. So if you would do that, that would be awesome. Uh, number two is uh, make sure that if someone is in your class and has not registered, that you go ahead and get them registered. You pull out one of your cards and get them that information. Uh, number three, please use those, uh, I'm trying to think what we call them, but anyway, those, those plastic trays that are on the wall, and that way you can keep your materials in there and what happens during the week is people move stuff around. And we are trying to avoid that for your sake so that you can find out, um, uh, find your stuff easily, okay? So please don't take them out and put them places. Just keep them in that plastic container and we will move them along and along. And you can hand out your discussion questions, use the cards that are in there, uh, have whatever you need to uh, write out of that plastic uh, tray that's on the wall. And uh, thirdly, uh, I guess it's fourthly, uh, we're going to be looking at starting some new Life Connection groups. And so I am not asking you to try to recruit Life Connection group leaders. I think that's what some of you think I'm trying to do. But if you know of people that would fit one of the, number one, they need to be a member of the church. They need to be born again. Uh, they need to be somebody that's friendly. They don't need to be somebody that uh, turns people away. Uh, they can be a leader. It can also be somebody that just kind of corrals people together. Uh, we all know people like that. 
Those are the kind of people we're looking for for Life Connection Group leaders, people that can lead discussion. We're not asking for people that can uh, uh, take the Word of God and, and have 14,000 uh, commentaries available and, and you know, teach uh, the Greek declensions and you know, all those things or have a seminary degree. We're looking for people that love people and that are willing to lead discussion. So if you know somebody like that, maybe somebody in your Life Connection group, maybe it's just somebody you know. Uh, they also have to have been involved in a Life Connection group for about six months. So once that hap- once uh, you have had that happen, then please let me know so that I can, uh, I will go and schmooze them and talk to them and take them out for coffee and, and see where they are and, and explain what we're trying to accomplish through building community here at our church. Our goal is over the next year and a half to two years is to have something along the lines of, uh, I'm going to say 650, 700 adults in Life Connection Group. And of course, the kids building uh, will be built, Lord willing, by then and have maybe another 100 in there, uh, 50 to 100 in there. The goal is for us to be at 80% of what's running in worship. So that's how we're going to do it as we're just going to continue to multiply our life connection groups, okay? All right, let's get to the sermon and just do a brief discussion of it, and then we'll go right into the discussion questions. So we're talking about handling a relationship with care. We're in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. And as you know, Pastor Tommy talked a little bit about the lottery winner on the Dave Ramsey show, and and he was talking, well, what did you do? Did you... How did you handle it? And one of the things he did not do was he did not, he never went and talked to his children, did he? He didn't let them know because he wanted them to try. He wanted them to know that what it takes to, to live life. Um, well, anyway, he was more concerned about a relationship with them than he was uh, making them rich. Um, now, we all know the pain of broken relationships, and we've been hurt by someone. Uh, we also know the joy of healthy, Christ-centered relationships. And we know that Jesus calls his church to be unified. And we have lots of times in the New Testament where we are challenged to be unified as a body of believers. So as a church, we can't accomplish much if we're divided, but we can accomplish great things for the kingdom when we live unified. And it is so important. Pastor Tommy read from Ephesians this past week when we were on staff retreat. And one of the big things is, is that we are unified as a staff, as a church, because we can accomplish great things for God. It was once someone that said, we will have the power of the New Testament church when we have the unity of the New Testament church. So if we're going to do that, we're going to have to learn to handle our relationships with care. So how do we do that? Jesus' words in Luke 17 are practical. Uh, And Pastor Tommy says that there are three challenges that are going to help us. First is this, let's protect each other from sin. Let's protect each other from sin. Now, notice what it says in Luke chapter 17. He says, Offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they, whom they come. It would be better for a millstone hung around his neck and he were thrown into the, lake, uh, into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, what's happened is Jesus has been addressing the Pharisees, and he now turns to his disciples. Now, these are difficult words to disciples, but they're really necessary words. Here's a reminder. Uh, We have an obligation to each other. 
And the whole goal is for us to help each other grow into Christ's likeness. In verse 1, we read about offenses will certainly come. So the ESV talks a little bit more about temptations to sin are, are sure to come. So Jesus, God in the flesh, knows that we live in this broken world. And he knows that sin is crouching at the door. As a matter of fact, he used that when he talked, uh, well, excuse me, the Bible uses that when, when they were talking about Esau and how sin was going to grab him. Uh, so there's an enemy ready to devour us. And he knows that we have a tendency to wound our own. And unfortunately, instead of helping our own, we tend to shoot our wounded as Christians. God help us. Uh, what a one through whom they come is what it says. Those are challenging words. Woe to those of us who cause others to sin, who put people in a position to dishonor the Lord. Um, what does it say? Verse 2 says, better for millstone. You know, Pastor Tommy put up that mixture, picture of the millstone. You might want to get one and show them. I, I was able to see them as well, and they are huge. They are huge. And you can imagine tying one around your neck, me casting a sea. That means you're, you're going to be dead, dead. Um, it's better if you were dead than to live a life where you influence and cause other people to rebel and sin. Uh, Kent Hughes, who is a man that has written on some wonderful things on discipleship, uh, he says this, I have occasionally prayed with my pastoral colleagues, Lord, if one of us here is headed for adultery, take him home now. Good prayer. Uh, so make sure that we keep each other from sin. That's a very strong and challenging word for followers of Jesus. So let's protect each other. So how can we be stumbling blocks to others? How can we stand in the way to someone? Well, <clears throat> we can do it a few ways. There's one, the one of the ways is theological negligence. You just don't know the Bible. You don't understand, you don't understand the Bible. And because you're misunderstanding of the Bible, you're causing people to reject God or to not know God, and you say things that aren't even in the Bible, or if they are, they're so twisted by the time you say them that it confuses people. We can also do about godless example. You, you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. How about hurtful words? You know, you just use your mouth to run people down. How horrible is that? Run people down, right? Uh, what about pressure people, uh, pressuring people uh, to satisfy your desires? Maybe outright pressure people, uh, you know, you pressure them to join in with you. Whatever it is, uh, high school student, college student, pressuring your, maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend to sin sexually. All those things are wrong, my friend. Very wrong. So make sure that you are being, don't use uh, pre a pressure to help satisfy your own desires. So how do you protect people from sin? You do the opposite. And what is that? Second challenge for us is let's forgive each other repeatedly. Verse 3 says, be on guard. You, you will sin against people and people will sin against you. So how are you going to respond when somebody sins against you? You're, you're willing to lovingly correct. That's rebuke. Temptation when someone hurts you is to immediately hurt back, to bite back. We use hurtful words or gossip. You talk behind their back. You run them down when they're not around. And when someone sins against us, temptation to go to someone else and we, we, you know, we want to talk about how terrible they've been. It gives us kind of a moral high ground, doesn't it? Multiple times uh, it's been said, have you talked to them about it? And I will say, uh, that's a good, that is a good line to say. And it's a good thing to remember. Have you talked to him about it? Matthew 18, 15 says, God, uh, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Care enough about the other person. How about be willing to restore? The idea is if he repents, that means he turns away from his sin, turns to God, then you forgive him. That doesn't mean that if he, doesn't, he does not repent, to not forgive him. Because, you know, you can't live in bitterness towards someone who refuses to repent. Uh, you, you live in that bitterness. It's like drinking poison 
and expecting the other person to die. Most of the time, they don't even know that you're bitter towards them. If someone who hurts you doesn't repent after you rebuke them, restoration might not be possible. And you got to be careful with that. And you got to live live through it. And you got to live with it. One, one, well, one man I once heard said, if they won't talk to you or if you're not comfortable talking to them, because there are relationships that are just poisonous relationships. And if that happens to you and you don't want to go back to that relationship, you still need to forgive them. Um, uh, if, for instance, if you have a, uh, someone that was beating your child or abusing your child, you don't need to go march your child over there and they got to somehow say that they forgive this person for doing that. You don't need to put them in that situation. But you might need to sit in a chair and have a chair away uh, on the other side and act like they're there and say, I forgive you. You still got to forgive them, whether you directly confront them or not. So be willing to restore. Also, be willing to identify with the person who sinned against you. Uh, when someone sins against you, the temptation to see yourself as superior, it, you know, see yourself superior. You're not better. You're a sinner. Uh, be willing to absorb the debt. Uh, when someone sins against you, they owe you. You need, a, you need to pay for the damage. They need to pay. You feel like they need to pay for the damage they've done to your heart. But forgiveness is a refusal to make the person pay. All right? Be willing to want good for the person who sinned against you, you know? If we will want good, God can do great things. But if we will want evil, God it kind of God kind of pulls away from the things that He needs to do to draw that person back to Himself. Uh, be willing to offer continual forgiveness. Verse four says seven. That's the number of completion, wholeness. You keep doing it as many times as it takes. Jesus isn't calling us to excuse sin. By the way, uh, we're not say we're not supposed to be denying someone's sin. We're not so, supposed to be pretending like it didn't happen. It's helping someone see their sin and doing what it takes. And if possible, put that relationship back together. There have been so many, so many relationships that end when they don't have to. Uh, so many people walk away from the church when they don't have to. There is simply this unwillingness to do the hard but necessary work of forgiveness. What Jesus teaches is a hard word. It is. And what it's going to call, what it's going to take from you is a lot of grace, a lot of prayer, a lot of wisdom. And he's never putting us in a place where we allow someone to walk all over us, abuse us, or continually hurt us. But he is teaching us to imitate him. All right? Number The third challenge. Let's live out our faith even when it's hard. Verse 5 says, increase our faith. Now, you can understand why the disciples wanted Jesus to increase their faith. What Jesus said was hard stuff. Forgive over and over again. How is that possible? Who, who Who's that patient, that loving? Who's that gracious? Jesus said, well, you got to believe. You got to trust God. He says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard, he didn't said, didn't say you had to have a lot of faith. He said you had to have faith, no matter how small it is. God can use it. So what do you do when it's hard? Acknowledge that there are times when you don't want to live out your faith. Just say, God, I don't want to be this way. You know, this is not where I am. I'm just not strong enough. Uh, I can't live like Jesus. I don't have enough faith. So Jesus says that you have enough faith. If you're a follower of Christ, you'll grow in your ability to forgive the next time you're required to do that. How about this? Um, live out your faith because it's the right response to grace. Verse 7. Uh, what does it say? Uh, which one of you, have after having a servant... Uh, oops, I went too far. Uh, anyway, uh, it's a short parable about the servant who does his job all day, comes in, prepares a meal for his master without the expectation of a thank you or accolades. Why does he do it? Because it's his job. In the same way, you do what God has called you to do because you're his servant. 
As a humble servant of God, you do what God's called to do. This is a helpful reminder. In the big scheme of things, know who you are. The reason you have a hard time relationally is because you want to be the center of every relationship, but God should be the center of every relationship. That's how we build relationships. We love God with all our hearts and allow his love to flow through us, and that relationship is built by God himself then, not us. His will being accomplished should be at the center of every relationship. Therefore, make sure God is at the center of it. So so why should you do what God says? Because it's the right response. Uh, It's gospel. Philippians 2 talks about how we are to do. He says, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Because God loved you. What did he do? He sent his only son who served you by going to a cross and dying in your place and rising again from the dead so your sins could be forgiven. And at the cross, Jesus identified with you by dying in your place. He absorbed your debt, your pay, what you owed him by paying your debt because he wants the best for you. And when you understand how loved you are by God, you can start the process of beginning to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. So ask your life connector, are they going to embrace the forgiveness of Jesus? Or are they going to reject what Jesus has done for them? Is God calling you to forgive? Maybe you need to do this week. Do that this week. Maybe there's someone in your life connection that doesn't need to be for. They need to be forgiven by God because they never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord of their life. They've never allowed Him to absorb their sin and pay their debt. It's a good opportunity right here to share the gospel and to let them know how Jesus can change their life. We're jumping now into the discussion questions. We're in Luke 17, 1 through 10. And we're talking about relationships, again, with how to handle them with care. And so uh, we, we start the conversation with, I think, number one is a good question. Uh, Pastor Tommy's really been giving us some good ones on the first question. Uh, why is it so difficult for relationships to stay healthy? You know, again, they're going to say things like, because people don't know how to handle themselves. People are, are angry. People, people are divided. People want their own way. I mean, they're selfish. They're self-centered. I mean, it's going to be all kinds of things. Uh, why do relationships tend to gravitate towards this functionality? In other words, why do, they, why do we start them good, but as we move along, we tend to break apart and start to hate each other? I can, I can, I can only think of the girlfriend and boyfriend that think that they've got to be with their girlfriend or boyfriend constantly. And then next thing you know, they're broken up. You know, why does that happen? Why does it move towards dysfunctionality? And again, they're going to have their own opinions about why why that happens. I can tell you, here's the big three-letter word that's usually in the middle of it, and it's sin because somebody's self, selfish, not selfless. Somebody is sinning and uh, causing that other person to sin, pressuring them into sin, other things. Somebody's making them feel uncomfortable. Uh, somebody uh, do- wants to dominate them, dominate time, dominate their relationships. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. They just tend to move into that dysfunctionality. Several others there you want to talk about, you're welcome to do. Uh, We're going to jump into the observation. As you know, we do observe, interpret, and apply. So this first section is about interpreting. And so over and over again, what you're going to do is you're going to say, uh, when they get off the text, say, okay, I hear you. And that's certainly an interesting point. But what is the text saying? Uh, It's interesting how many times I do have to say that on Sunday morning because people have their own... Uh, I wouldn't say agenda, that's not right, but they have their own mindset. And when you start talking about an issue, they want to put their little piece in, and, and that's fine for them to put that in. But let's get back to the text and get back to doing what we need to do with the text, okay? we're in, uh, First, we're going to be in Luke 17, 1 through 3. What does Jesus mean when he says, 
offenses will certainly come. So when he says offenses will certainly come, he is he is readily admitting that it's going to happen, right? We have struggles. We know what's what's going to what's going to go on. Uh, temptations to sin, because no Jesus knows that we live in that broken world, doesn't he? Uh, what does he mean when he says, but woe to the one through whom they come? Now, this is kind of a different word. These are, these are words about woe is a bad, I mean, that's not just like woe like you woe a horse. This is like judgment and destruction. This is a terrible thing for Jesus to say uh, that it's going to, not for Jesus to say, this is a terrible thing that Jesus is saying will happen. Woe to those who have a temp of sin, who put people in that position. Um, why, man? We we don't we shouldn't be dragging people into sin as believers. We don't we encourage people to grow in Jesus. We want to disciple them. We want to be a as Pastor Tommy always talks about that man named Bob that was a pastor friend that put him under his wing and help him grow in Christ. We want to be that Bob to someone. All right, number two in Luke seventeen one through two, who is Jesus addressing and why is he issuing a warning about causing others to sin? Sin, excuse me, let me say that again. Luke 17, 1 through 2, who is Jesus addressing and why is he issuing a warning uh, about causing others to sin? Um, so we have this, this concept as he addresses the Pharisees. Uh, that's what he's been doing. But this is what's interesting, is because although he's been addressing the Pharisees, who's he turned to? He's now turning to his disciples and he says these very difficult words. So he's addressing them. Um, so he's saying, hey, listen, we don't cause other sin. We help them grow. So why does Jesus use an analogy of a millstone tied around someone's neck? Well, certainly there can be a lot of reasons, uh, but a millstone is a huge rock. And uh, I can tell you, if you tie a millstone around someone's neck and you throw them into the sea, they're not going to live. Pastor Tommy says it this way. He says, if you were, it's better if you were dead than to live a life where you influence and cause other people to live in rebellion against God. And that's when he used that prayer quote from Kent Hughes about, I pray that my pastoral friends, their uh, possibility of committing adultery, go ahead and bring them home. All right, Luke 17, 3 through 4. What's the process Jesus prescribes for addressing someone who sins against you? Um, well, we have uh, several ways that, that are listed here. Um, when we get to verses 3 through 4, um, you, you're going to sin against people, and people are going to sin against you. So what you got to do is you got to forgive him, them. You got to forgive them. So what's the process? He, he talked about be willingly to lovingly correct. That's what we call rebuke, and it's always done in grace. It's always done in love. And just because you say I'm saying this in love doesn't mean you are. Okay, you need to really do it in love. You need to say, man, I've struggled with this issue too, or I know people that have struggled with this issue. It hurts, and and I know this is not something you want to do, but this is something that you can do, is you can begin to move away from what you're doing, and become more like Jesus. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, where we lovingly rebuke. Uh, what we want to do when we see somebody doing that is we want to hit them hard, right? We, wanna, we, we don't want to lovingly correct. We want to kind of tell them off. We want to get that moral high ground. Uh, we also are, we, we restore them. The Bible says if he repents, forgive him. That doesn't mean if he doesn't repent that you're not forgiving, by the way, right? Uh, so we then restore them. Uh, also, we uh, we are willing to identify with the person. We, when someone sins against you, uh, the temptation to see yourself as superior to that person, you know, that you're better than them. You need to understand you're not. You're a sinner too. 
you know, I understand. You might not have committed that sin, but you can say, I understand what it's like to struggle with sin because we all struggle with sin. And I know this meme is not, this is not what this meme means, but when this meme says, uh, don't condemn me because I sin differently than you. We are all in this thing together. And I know they're trying to say, you know, that uh, they can live the life any way they want. You're, and we're all, you know, doing terrible things type thing. And that's not what that, what I intend for that to mean. When somebody's sinning, we can identify with them, right? And then we can be willing to absorb the debt. That means that um, our heart, we allow our heart to pay for the damage. They're never going to. You, you can allow your heart to do that. Number four, what does it mean to rebuke someone? Well, that means to lovingly correct. We, we talked about that. That's, that's lovingly correcting someone, uh, not hurting them back. Uh, Matthew 18, 15 says, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. You know, you, you do it individually. Uh, good thing is, uh, over and over I've heard the words, have you talked to them yet? Somebody comes and kind of tattles on somebody, you can say, have you talked to them yet? How can you rebuke someone who in such a way that they know you care for their soul? Well, you, 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 you care for them. You love them. Um, you know, you make sure that people aren't talking behind their back. You, you make sure that people go directly to them if they are in sin. Care enough about the person to tell them how they offended you, right? This is what happened. Uh, how should we, for only, should we only forgive people who repent of the wrong? Of course not. Sometimes we've got to repent. We, excuse me, we've got to forgive people that have never repented before us because we don't want to be bitter and we don't want to hold on to that bitterness. And that's the why or why not. Number five, what does Jesus mean when he challenges us to forgive seven times in a day? What he's talking about is that we continue to forgive. Seven, in verse four, it talks about this number seven, number of completion. You keep on doing it because the people struggle, are struggling to change just like you struggle to change. And what happens is a lot of times we run back to our sin. It's good to be able to forgive people. It means that's a complete number. You just keep on doing it. Luke 17, 5 through 6. What was the disciples' response to Jesus' instruction on forgiveness? Remember what the disciples said? It's interesting. He said, <laughs> increase our faith. we got to have more faith if we're going to do that, Jesus. Um, so that was their response. So what was Jesus' response? He said, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about this, for, Jesus talking about this forgiven over and over again thing. He says, well, here's the deal. If you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you don't have to have a lot of faith. What you have to have is you have to have a lot of uh, grace and you have to have a lot of, uh, of understanding and you have to have a lot of patience with people. It's not a, it's not a trust issue. It's just an issue of loving people uh, because Jesus loved you. So Jesus responded that way because he knew that uh, they didn't need more faith. They needed more care and love and being willing to forgive. Number uh, Luke 17, 17 through 10. Um, how does this short story relate to what Jesus has been teaching his disciples? Okay, so he gets to this story and the story is about this, this guy that uh, goes and does his job all day, comes in, prepares a meal with for his master, and he doesn't even want the doesn't even want to thank you. Why? Because he he does his job. What that means, in the same way, you do what God has called you to do because you are His servant. You don't look for accolades. You don't look for thanks. You do the right thing. 
Okay, jump into interpretation, this section. Uh, what you're going to do is you're going to gather a few of the concepts here, a few words here, what it's trying to say, and then you're going to make it into a sentence. So you're going to talk about things like forgiveness. You're going to talk about things like uh, res uh, response, uh, grace. You're going to talk about for um, uh, continual. Uh, continual. You're going to talk about repentance. You're going to talk about repenting even when they don't sin, uh, even when they don't uh, feel like forgiving you, you know. Um, all those kind of things, and you can put it into a sentence and use your whiteboard a lot of times to do that. If somebody's good at putting in words textually, that's fine as well. And then, of course, theological reflection. We get to the, the best place is going to be when you talk about uh, the right response to the grace of God as, as, as the gospel in Philippians 2. When you turn them to Philippians 2 at the end uh, of this section, um, I think that when you have this mind in you as also in Christ Jesus, that you remember that Jesus gave his very life for you, get, died on a cross, died that cruel death, became a man, died on the cross to offer forgiveness for my sin. He paid my debt. He was the one who absorbed the penalty for me, right? It's a great place to share the gospel and understand how God is at work. And finally, we're in the application. So uh, they're going to have to work on the application because you're going to say, okay, because of this, what are we going to do? What are we going to do this week? All right. Uh, what are some ways that we tend to be a stumbling block for someone? So first thing we want to, don't want to do is we want to, don't want to be that stumbling block, do we? So remember what we talked about? What are some ways that we did that? Uh, we, we do things like, um, we, as this is a section under, let's protect each other from sin. Uh, we have theological negligence. We say stupid things that aren't, aren't even in the Bible, and we say that we act like or say that they are. We twist them or we don't. We make up something. We say, you know, God helps them who helps themselves. By, by the way, that's not gospel. That's not Bible. That's Ben Franklin. Um, so be careful how you quote the Bible if you don't know that's exactly what it says. And then, of course, we can be godless examples. We can you, that Not only that, we can use hurtful words, or we can even pressure people around us to do things to satisfy our own desires. Just put pressure on them. That's how we can be a stumbling block. So, if number two, if someone has sinned against you, what steps should you take to forgive that person? All right? You, you need to go to them. You need to do it uh, individually, one-on-one. -on -one. You need to ask, uh, you need to tell them uh, that uh, they've, they've hurt you. you. You say how it hurts you. Um, they're, they're, you know, those kind of things are good and demonstrate grace and don't think that they're going to forgive you. They're going to ask for your forgiveness too. It usually doesn't happen that way. Sometimes they need time. Sometimes they just need to think about it. Sometimes uh, they're just not willing to and it's okay. And so the question is, if, if you need to forgive that person, um, what excuses do you give? And people have all kinds of excuses. I don't want to deal with it. I've, I've, I've moved beyond that. That's a lot of water in the bridge since then. But the bottom line is, if you can remember it, you probably need to deal with it. So what do you need to do this week, all right, to live out your faith? And then lastly, if you have hurt someone, what steps should you take to restore that relationship? Okay, guys. Well, thank you for listening. It's been a great time together, and I hope that it's helped you just to listen to these little little snippets of information and uh, the sermon I've included, of course, and the questions are there. My notes, so if you want to go and use some of that, you're welcome to. And um, I will do my best again to have this in text form so that you can study it from the very beginning and uh, use quotes or whatever you need to use out of the text as well. Let me pray for you, and I will see you on Sunday. Dear Father, we do want to have good relationships, but good relationships mean that we 
need to have grace and forgiveness in our lives. So, Father, for those people that have hurt us, that have uh, we put a wall between, that we don't want to see them anymore, or whatever it is, Lord, I pray that this week we would have that opportunity to to be able to build that relationship again. The bottom line is, is wherever we go, Lord, there we are. And we can offend people too. And we can cause people to think that they need to live a certain way or do a certain thing. If they're going to, they got to please us, for instance, Lord. And really, it's not about that. It's about living a life of grace and forgiveness. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to teach our people in our Life Connection groups this week. Help them, as we discuss this, to understand what Jesus is saying when he talks about forgive them 70 or seven times, 70 times seven. Uh, whatever the translation is, that means continual, ongoing, For uh, keep on going, don't stop. Lord, help us to live that out for Jesus and his sake. And if there's anyone in our Life Connection group that doesn't know Jesus is saving Lord of their life, may today be the day they surrender to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. See you Sunday. God bless. <music>